What's up, girls, guys, gays, and theys? I'm Beth. And I'm TJ. Grab your bottle of wine and put your lawyer on speed dial. Welcome to Nightmare on Girls Night. Welcome to the shaky house. Oh my god. Literally, your house is making some disturbing sounds right now. It sounds like there's a garbage truck out front ramming into the side. (laughs) The side of what? Your house. Or some ghosts are banging in your non-existent (laughs) attic. I am... Okay, we're trying a new audio system here and... Is that better or worse? I don't know. We're using headphones, and I can hear myself echo, so I feel like I'm trying not to interrupt myself. Wait, that used to be like a Facebook challenge where you would Mm-mm. listen to yourself, and it would reverb, and you would talk all slow. That's what I'm doing. Do you I, think? I feel like I'm drawling out <laughs> my words. Should we stop? Nah. Okay. Let's just okay. keep going. Okay, we're on episode six. Yeah. We're going to apologize for the shit audio. In episode five. Damn. It was bad. We listened back and we were like, ooh, we're getting so good. And then it sounded like a freaking wind turbine was on in the background. <laughs> well, like, is it the air conditioning? <laughs> is it the computer? We have no clue. And we're not techy enough to fix it. And the pod lab is just a room full of blankets and pillows. So maybe one day when we have a soundproof room, it won't be so bad. Yeah, we'll fix it one day. But today's not the day. We're just hoping this one sounds better than the last. So bear with us, I guess. Did you watch? Okay, when this comes out, it'll have passed by a couple weeks. But did you watch the Super Bowl halftime? Uh, Obviously, I did. Okay, thoughts so good well (laughs) sorry that was really really quick (laughs) that was really quick i thought she was gonna bring out a special guest the whole time dylan and our dylan and i are like jay-z's coming out oh yeah and then i was like kanye west no too controversial Too controversial. I know. Yeah. We thought the same thing. Every song that happened, I was like, okay, it's going to be this guest or this guest. And I liked it. I thought it was really good. Like, I was bobbing my head the whole time. Yeah. But I was waiting for that, like, wow factor. Totally. I don't know. The biggest surprise was her pregnancy. Which I didn't even notice until I went onto social media afterwards and was like, oh, she's pregnant. You know what? I felt bad because I was like, she had a baby like a month ago. It was over a year ago. Was it? Okay, because then I was on social media and people were like, oh yeah, she just had a baby. There's no way she's pregnant. And then media and it gets all mixed up. But and she's pregnant again. I mean, she looked fucking bomb. She did. yeah. And it, like, it was good. And I mean, people can criticize the dancers, whatever, but I thought it was catchy and it made yeah. you want to get up and dance. And it's the classic, very, like, new age, more like... Move along with it, dance mm-hmm. moves. I thought it was good. People I can talk that, shit, but I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought the dancers were good. Yeah. And when they did the reveal that they were all women and showed the bras. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool. It was just, yeah, I thought it was good. But whatever. That's why I watch the Super Bowl, so. L- literally, 
it was like, are you cheering for the Chiefs? Are you cheering for the Eagles? Or are you cheering for Rihanna? Rihanna. Uh, wait, I saw on TikTok, it's Rihanna. Shut and, up. And we've been saying it wrong the whole time. Rihanna? Just no. kidding. <laughs> kidding. What is it again? See, this is, no. Rihanna. Mm-hmm. I don't pronounce names or places in, on this podcast. There's your house again. You know I'm sweating because I think we're about to be murdered by some fucking paranormal activity here. Or the garbage truck. <laughs> or the garbage truck <laughs> ramming into the side. Um, there is some other things that I want to talk about because there's a lot going on in the world right there now. There is. Too much. Stresses me out. Have you seen every, all the stuff on the train explosion? Um, no. Oh, Lord. It's in Ohio. <clears throat> okay. East Palestine, Ohio. It was carrying vinyl chloride, which is a monomer used to make PVC. It's shipped in its liquid form since it boils at negative 13 Celsius, meaning that the train was spewing out boiling liquid into the ground. No. And when it caught on fire, it started putting off hydrogen chloride into the air, which when hydrogen chloride bonds Mm -hmm. with water in the atmosphere... Mm -hmm. It turns into hydrochloric acid. She's a scientist today. I had yeah, to <laughs> look this up because that means acid rain. <laughs> it's raining acid. acid. Sorry, that's all I can... Hallelujah. <laughs> no, not hallelujah. This is what happens when we have one drink before we... Oh my god. So there's that's hundreds terrible. of thousands of pounds of acid in the atmosphere right now. Did people die? I think that cattle and fish in the area are dying because of this. It's horrific. Being put off into the atmosphere. It's a good lawsuit to happen, though. Did I just sound, like, really smart? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm impressed right now. I'm speechless. (laughs) (laughs) She has nothing to say. (laughs) I did not... I didn't hear that, though. How did I not know about that? Okay, it's, like, huge news right now. Wow. Just, like, there was a piece of the sun that fell off. Like, are you reading a science magazine? No, no, no. I'm on TikTok <laughs> that is constantly spewing world-ending news at me. Mm. See, I sometimes get so consumed in my own mortality that I, like, <laughs> don't watch the news. So I just probably didn't do that. I definitely went to went into an existential dread kind yeah. of spiral. Love that for us. Yeah. But New Year, same us. On a lighter note, I'm wondering if the aliens that have been shot down all over North America could what? just come and beam us up. Where have you been? <laughs> Apparently not on the same TikTok platform as you. Holy shit. Actually, fun fact, I'm not on TikTok. TikTok. No, I'm not on it. But you do send me a lot and you're apparently not sending me the right ones. No, there was a Chinese spy balloon that was shot yes. down over the Atlantic. You saw okay, that? Yep, saw that. And then there was an unidentified object shot down over the Yukon oh. that they're saying is a UFO. Did you? Do you believe in aliens? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Same. Yeah. Friendly ones or unfriendly ones? I think that they're friendly and if yeah. they ever beam me up, I'm going to convince them that... The cats and dogs of this mm. world are our gods. Mm, love that. So they have to take that. That's too. the universe I want to live in. Yeah. Have you seen signs though? No. no. What? No, I've never seen signs. You know, okay, so Beth and I always have a horror movie bucket list, yeah. shall we? Yeah. And every, leading up to Halloween, we watch horror movies. I thought you had watched signs. No, no. So, okay. Oh, that's like one of the best horror movies out there because it's a classic. 
That shit is freaky, though. So when we watch that, you might change your mind. But Okay. Anyways. Anyways. Last thing I have to say from this whole chaotic intro, intro. <laughs> is that Brian Koberger has a preliminary hearing date. Oh, fuck. June 26th. Wow. So that's where they decide if he's going to get a trial. We're going to have to do a little countdown to that. Mm-hmm. I've heard that there's a, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of, a lot of misinformation out there. Oh, absolutely. Like a ton. I know we talked about it a bit on, I think, episode two maybe, mm-hmm. but it's like come out that like you, it's hard to trust anything that's in the media since he's been um, arrested. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really, really curious after or if the trial happens, um, what the actual story is that comes out. Yeah. I've just heard, I've read so many different things. It's like, I believe one thing and then another thing comes out. It's actually fucked. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think it was episode three after we talked about all that Mm -hmm. stuff, how everything that we had said had been discredited. Was incorrect. Yeah. 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 I know. And it's actually funny because, well, it's not funny, but it's similar to the case I'm going to read today. There was just so much information that as I was sifting through and trying to figure out what was truth, what was fact, what was skewed, it was so hard. It took me hours to sift through and I'm even sitting here and I'm like, this is what I've determined, but God damn, the media is crazy. It's actually insane. Yeah. Okay, we should get into this. Yeah, we because should. We've talked it's going to be an hour and a half. Which, too- well, our last episode was short. Short, so. So you get, you get more of us today. Yes. I'm on How My Oh, Life. and I just realized we said the audio was shit in the last episode, but the audio was shit in episode five. This is episode six. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never mind. A- <laughs> Moving on. Chaos. Welcome to the shit Why am I the way that I am? Yeah, so this is episode six. Beth is bringing the How Am I Alive and I'm bringing the true crime case. If we can get our shit together because today's a little bit spicy. I found it. Okay. It is spicy. Oh, God. Have at her. Okay. I did something a little bit different. Okay. Be mad at me if you want. Oh, here we go. I got it off of Reddit. (laughs) Fucking bitch. Okay, so it's a thread called creepy encounters Mm -hmm. it's a short one because i knew that you'd be bringing something long but Mm -hmm. i really just want to see how it's received okay okay so people be kind please i it's the header is i open the door to a stranger in the middle of the night why (laughs) exactly i know just after 1 a.m., I was sat in my living room watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, never seen Browsing that. Reddit, the most boring Saturday night ever. And then someone's knocking. I live with my brother, and there's a guy who visits him sometimes. So I assumed it was him and just opened the door. Mm, no. S- stupid. How would you do that? After 1 a.m., don't open the door. I barely open the door. I don't like open the door PM. when it's like literally 5 p.m. and I, I have four people over. Okay you panic and you're like Who, who's here yeah my neighbor brought me hot cross buns <laughs> and i stared at her through my ring camera for like 10 minutes before i decided i wanted to open it up hoping she'd go away <laughs> okay leave the buns <laughs> leave the bun. you talk through the ring camera. Yeah. leave the buns leave the buns thank you um there was a random in his 40s looking kind of sus they do. Saying, sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm looking for a taxi place. So I said, town center, and he kept apologizing, asking if he woke the kids. He's also very close to my door at this point. No. I don't have any kids, but oh. he's, but I said yes, hoping he'd fuck off. 
I was scared, and if I tried to close the door, he'd push in. Mm-mm. I got so anxious, I started shaking. And he goes on about the taxi again, saying, can, can I ask you a question? I got divorced yesterday. You're oh. beautiful. And a car Gross. was coming, again, so I said thanks. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I tried to be polite so he wouldn't get angry and aggressive. Why do we do that? No, I know. We talked about this on the on episode four, I think it was. Why do we do no. that? Bark. Tell Ruff. me. Fuck right off. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bark and you're like, rough. <laughs> Just hear a woman being like, Ruff. <laughs> Like, the, anyways. Be more aggressive than yeah. that. I shut the door and I just stood by the window making sure he was gone. Jesus, how was I so stupid? Mm-hmm. It could have ended badly, especially that I live in a shitty area. My brother wears headphones all the time. Why was he asking about kids to see if I was alone? And he went in the direction that the car was coming. So I don't know if it was a random car or somebody picked him up. Was he a thief or a drunk? I just had the lights on. So he knocked. I really hope it's just that. I really hope I start thinking again before I do anything stupid. See, and this is the thing, like back in the day, whatever, like we used to all leave our doors unlocked. Oh yeah. When and we it was kids. like, I would go to school and I would leave my door unlocked. Yeah. But these days it's like, you don't even answer the door because now everybody has cell phones mm-hmm. that literally you can call for, like if this guy needed a taxi call for help, if he didn't mm-hmm. have a phone, like you were off, I don't know. I just don't trust that someone in this day and age is going up to a random house no. thinking that is normal. Well, there's all those stories about people coming to your door and saying, my car broke down mm-hmm. down the street. Can I use your phone? Mm-mm. And then they get in and rob your shit or... <laughs> rob put, your shit? Put or go- make a home in your attic? Oh my god. No. I don't... Well, there's actually stories of people doing that. Anyways. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, that was my Reddit story. If you liked it, let us know. If you want us to stay away from Reddit... Let us know. I love Reddit. Honestly, quality content. Quality content. I get, I go into rabbit holes, but I'll save that for another, another podcast because we're probably 45 minutes in right now and I gotta, I'll kick us off for the case this week. I'm really excited. It's long and there is a lot of people involved, so I'm going to try to make it as clear as possible. And like I said, there was so much information on the internet that I did my best to sift through court records and news articles and all of that stuff. Um, it is what it is. Okay, bring it on. So this is uh, the case of Nina Louise Cordopat, and it takes place in the capital city of Alberta. Do you know where that is? Edmonton? Uh-huh. Little shout out to my hometown. Well, close enough. Um, so Edmonton is in Treaty Six territory and within the Métis Nation of Alberta Region Four. Um, so again, it's uh, focused on the case of Nina Louise Cordapat, and she at this time was an Indigenous, uh, or she was thirteen year old, and she was an Indigenous um, young girl. And it takes place in two thousand five. So Nina was born on October third, nineteen ninety one, in Edmonton, Alberta. Growing up, family was always super important to her, and she had many close relationships. She was the fourth of six siblings and was said to be very protective of her younger brother and sister. She always looked out for them and just, like, generally was an awesome older sister. As a child, she liked to tell them stories and would dress them up using makeup and nail polish. She also had an older brother, Patrick, who um, it was said she had a very special relationship with. 
Apart from her diary, Patrick was the one that Nina confided in the most. He was the one she went to when she needed to talk, but Nisa, Nina was also very attached to her mother. So just generally, she's a family gal. Yeah. She loved to get up on weekends and make her family pancake pancakes and eggs. Like That's so sweet. Just like your perfect daughter. Her mother, Picha Atkinson, said her and Nina's father always encouraged her to use her voice. They taught her about safety and about standing up for herself. Peaches stated that she believed it was these early teachings that had a strong influence on Nina, who grew up to be a very strong but compassionate teenager. Nina did her best to support and encourage her classmates, especially those that were being picked on. She would tell them that they were beautiful and that they had inner strength and to just keep going. Oh my god, that's so sweet. Right? In general, she just loved to take care of people. At the same time, though, she was not afraid to challenge people. If she thought a teacher was wrong, she would stand up and refuse to sit down until they would acknowledge that it was their mistake. In grade six, Nina participated in the D.A.R.E. program, which is the Drug Abuse Resistance Education. And her mom, Picha, remembers watching amusingly as Nina reprimanded a stranger she caught smoking next to a no smoking sign. <laughs> no way. I love it. <laughs> Good so, for her. Uh, right? Yeah. When Nina was eight, the family moved to the Dunluce area of Edmonton. Unfortunately, though, Picha recalled a series of bad experiences that occurred during their time there. It started when Nina realized that she could scare her mother by apparently hiding outside in the dark, which, like, that would fucking traumatize anyone. Yeah. From there, the behavior escalated, though, and it's noted that Nina began to tell people that she was being abused. Mm. Um, and I only tell this part of the story because it it kind of ties into the story a little bit later. Peach and her husband tried to address Nina's behavior, but it was too late and child and family services uh, were called. Oh, no. However, Nina was never removed from the home as child welfare workers never found anything to confirm these allegations. Mm. The family later moved to the West End of Edmonton and after that, Peach says that Nina was much happier and her behavior really improved. Nina was a popular and social girl. She made friends very fast. So obviously as Nina got older and began hanging out with friends, she was just a very outgoing social girl. Mm -hmm. But she did always keep in contact with her mother. Picha notes that Nina, like many youth, liked to challenge the rules and push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. But even then, if for some reason Picha, the mom, didn't phone Nina, Nina would always call herself to check in with Picha. Okay. So it was March 30th, 2005, and Nina was 13 years old at the time. This evening, she said she was going to go spend the weekend at a friend's house. Um, now, because they're underage, um, I'm going to call this friend KB. Okay. <clears throat> Peaches said this wasn't unusual. The girls had been friends for years and were practically inseparable. She hadn't heard from her daughter, though, over the next few days, but it didn't sound like Peacha was super concerned, like she thought maybe they were just busy having fun. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until a few days later that Peacha got a phone call from KB's mother. She asked to speak to her own daughter, saying that the girls had told her that they were staying at Nina's house, oh, which no. is like a classic teen strategy yeah the amount of times that God, i used to do that right oh, it was like oh i'm going for a sleepover and then you're drunk in a bush yes <laughs> it was then that peach learned nina's friend kb had developed a pattern of running away for about three or four days at a time and i guess the friend's mother tried to stop the girls like tried to stop her own daughter without any success mm. the friend's mother continued to tell peach not to worry though that the girls would likely come home in a couple of days but Peacha was now worried. She had this gut feeling. She phoned Nina's friends. She called the youth shelter and the iHumane Youth Society. She called every organization she could think of that Nina might have gone to. Mm -hmm. Despite being deeply concerned, Peacha fully expected that the girls would return home in a day or two. 
Now, many people have questioned why she didn't call the police right away. Mm -hmm. And this is where it kind of ties in. We have to keep in mind this is an an indigenous woman and her experiences are vastly different with the police. Mm -hmm. And she has now a history with Child and Family Services Mm -hmm. and she didn't want to alarm them. Mm -hmm. She essentially didn't want Nina to be taken away. Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. A few days later, on April 4th, 2005, Nina had still not returned home. It was at this time that a body of a young girl was discovered by groundskeeper on the Edmonton Springs Golf Course, which is approximately 15 miles west of Edmonton. When this news came out, Peach immediately called police, and it was confirmed this was the body of her daughter. Oh, no. An autopsy was conducted uh, by the chief medical examiner for Alberta, And he observed 15 lacerations distributed over Nina's scalp and face. Oh my god. Yeah, it's brutal. There was also a laceration or a stab wound to the right side of her lower jaw. And there were two very superficial cuts to the front of the neck and some very superficial cuts to the right side of her face. (sighs) He also noticed there were severe fractures on the right and left side of her skull. Oh wow. Yeah. There was also a midline fracture of her lower jaw. So it was all from the shoulders up. Uh, kind of. Okay. So he observed that a number of bruises and scrapes were scattered over her face, neck, butt, arms, and legs. Oh my god, that poor girl. It was the medical examiner's opinion that the cause of death was blunt force trauma to Nina's skull and brain. He thought this blunt cranial trauma was consistent with Nina having been struck several times with a heavy blunt object. He stated that the superficial cuts on the front of her neck were probably caused by a weapon with a sharp edge such as a knife. That is so brutal. Yeah. So let's get into what happened. Okay. It's, and this is where it gets confusing because there's a lot of people involved. So some days before Nina's murder, a group of fucking dicks had met up to hang out for the night. Now I'll get into the names of these people. Originally three of their names were protected under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, but eventually their names did come out during other court cases once they were of age. So like fuck the act i'm outing all of these motherfuckers as you should so a part of this group was michael aaron briscoe who was 34 at the time so his name was released joseph labucan which was 19 years and then the three underage which was one male michael williams and two females uh stephanie bird and dt dt was the only one i couldn't figure out her real name but she went by the nickname buffy okay and apparently it was because So Buffy was essentially living out of West Edmonton Mall doing what she could to stay alive. She was using crystal meth and had adopted adopted her nickname from the television show Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. It's rumored she sharpened her teeth, drank blood, and wore a set of throwing knives. Like, I mean, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, sure is right. Like, anyways. So on March 30th, the day Nina was last seen by her mother, Nina and her best friend KB got together to spend the weekend at her friend's house. On April 3rd, they both went to West Edmonton Mall and then planned to head back to her friend's place for a sleepover. It was at West Edmonton Mall that Joseph Labacan and one of the underage females approached Nina and her friend, started chatting them up, and eventually invited them to attend a bush party with them and their group. So this is where it gets a little confusing because in a lot of the court records, it just says one of the underage females. And so it's hard to determine which underage Mm. female they're talking about. I kind of deciphered which one it was in certain scenarios, but not always. Okay. The girls didn't think much of it and agreed. So 45 minutes later, they were picked up at 1227 a.m. by the group in Michael's 1991 Ford Tempo. 
From there, they drove approximately 15 minutes west of Edmonton to the Edmonton Springs Golf Course. When they arrived, they all got out of Michael's car, and Joseph Labucan told them to follow him to where he said the bush party would be. Nina's friend, KB, testified in court that she and Nina did become suspicious after the group arrived at the dark and secluded golf course because neither she nor Nina saw nor heard any evidence of a bush party. Yeah, I mean, when would there ever be a bush party at a golf course? Yeah, I mean, who am I to judge? People, Yeah, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess. Some other suspicious activity happened when apparently the 17-year-old unnamed female started talking about a ritual and how they used to kill people and bring them back from the dead. Oh, no. This was probably fucking Buffy. Oh, no. (laughs) So, like I said, upon arrival at the golf course, everyone got out of the car and began walking in search of the party. What Nina and her friend didn't know was that when Joseph Labacan got out of the car, he went to the trunk where he retrieved a wrench and a sledgehammer. Oh, red flags. Joseph Labacan then continued along with the others, apart from Michael Briscoe, who remained behind for just a little bit longer, and this will come into play in the sentencing. They immediately started walking down towards one of the fairways on the golf course, and all this time, Joseph is reassuring Nina and her friend that they were walking towards the party. Okay. While walking, Joseph Labacan instructed one of the females, I deciphered that I'm pretty sure it was Stephanie Bird, to hit Nina with the wrench. Stephanie, for some reason, just fucking complied with these instructions, striking Nina from behind with the large wrench. Nina devastatingly cried out in pain and apparently ran towards Joseph for comfort, which is fucking heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But then he pulled her close, held her super tight, and whispered something in her ear that is said to have absolutely terrified her. She broke away from him and began pleading with him not to do whatever it was that he had said to her. Oh my god. At this time... Michael Briscoe was finally catching up to the group and grabbed Nina and pinned her to the ground by her wrists and was angrily telling Nina to be quiet as she continued to scream. While this is happening, Nina's friend KB testified that she was led back to the car by the 17-year-old girl and was told by Michael Briscoe that he would kill her if she screamed or said anything. Now, there's a lot of conflicting accounts of Nina's friend's experience during this whole thing, and so it was really hard to follow what was fact and what was fiction, but that's essentially what I, what I gathered happened. Okay. It's noted that sometime after this, Joseph Labacan proceeded to rape Nina. Mm. Immediately after that, one of the underage males, Michael Williams, did the same. Oh my god, that poor girl. As Nina was putting her clothes back on, Buffy said Labacan tried to cut Nina's throat with a throwing knife and then choked her with a wrench. Michael Williams then put his foot on Nina's stomach to hold her down. Joseph Labacan and Michael Williams then continued with an absolutely vicious assault on Nina that led to her death. This assault included hitting her with a sledgehammer and essentially taking turns hitting her with a sledgehammer. Joseph Labacan, after hitting the victim in the head with a sledgehammer, directed Buffy, who was carrying a pair of throwing knives, to cut her throat. While the sexual assault and killing was occurring, Michael Briscoe just apparently stood by and watched not offering assistance to Nina or or the people actually doing the murder, just, just standing watching. by. Just watching. A sadist. Yeah. Nina's body was then left on the golf course. The remainder of the group returned to Michael's vehicle, and then they drove back to Edmonton. Now, remember, Nina's friend was in the car this whole time, apparently. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So, she said she didn't remember how long it was before the group returned to the car. But they did return to the car without Nina. 
She testified that Joseph Labacan grabbed a bottle of water from her car and began from the car and began washing himself off. She said he was covered in blood from his elbows to his fingertips. Oh, Jesus. Once in the car, Michael Williams apparently told Nita's friend that he had beat her up, but he made her run home naked. So lied to her. Yeah. Buffy also apparently pulled two short knives from her backpack, and according to the friend, they were covered in blood, and she had said that she put them in Nina's throat. She said during this car ride, she kept asking why, and Joseph Labacan just kept saying she was the chosen one. It's also noted in court documents that Joseph Labacan had apparently told the group that night that he wanted to find someone to kill for fun. And Nina was just a random victim he had chosen out of the mall. That's so terrifying. Yeah. Once returning to Edmonton, all except Michael Williams stayed in Michael Briscoe's motel motel room for the remainder of that night. Including the friend. Including the friend. And this is where it gets, like, weird. So, again, there's multiple accounts. I looked at court records from Michael Briscoe's court dates. And then I also looked at varying, like, a book that was read and then stuff like that. Or not a book, but, like, an article. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, she's like, well, I, I felt scared that they were going to hurt me, so I stayed. And then, apparently, she went back to West Edmonton Mall with them the next day, and they were like, you could have ran. And she's like, no, I was scared. And then, I guess her mom found her at West Edmonton Mall, mm-hmm. and the police were called, and she still refused to go with the police or her mom. And they were like, why didn't you go? Like, you, the, there were police there. You were safe. That's really weird. And so, again, I'm not judging because there's a lot of information out there and mm-hmm. this could be getting skewed by the media. For sure. But that's the story that's out there. And honestly, like, I feel like we always talk about you never know how you're going to respond yes. in times of trauma. 100%. And, like, grieving and death. Like, And you're feeling unsafe uh-huh. and, yeah. And God forbid. I had no idea what I would no. do. So no, like, no judgment. No. And... I don't really go much further into it because she was never a suspect. She was never put on... Like, she testified, but she was never a suspect. So traumatic. So Nina's friend testified in court. She didn't know that her friend was dead until several days later when she escaped from the group. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, Nina's body was found on April 4th, 2005 at the Edmonton Springs Golf Course. Uh, The investigator said that they found several items near Nina's body, including blue-handled pliers, coins, a sucker stick, and a cigarette butt, all that were put into evidence, and a patch of blood-stained grass was also found a few meters away from the girl's body. Mm -hmm. Was it her blood? Actually, it didn't say, but it's assumed it was because I think it said in the evidence that it was clearly, it was clear that she had been dragged a little ways. Okay. Or I guess it could have been from when he was washing his hands. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into these people who were clearly born from Satan's asshole. Mm -hmm. He's said to have, so Joseph Labacan, we're going to start with him because he's said to have been the mastermind behind the crime and he was convicted of first degree murder, but he pled not guilty. Mm. I'm going to digress for a second and explain how shitty of a butthole this guy actually is. <laughs> so in 2008, Joseph Labacan was actually also charged with second-degree murder in the death of another woman. Excuse me? Her name was Ellie May Meyer. Ellie May's body was found outside of Edmonton in a farmer's field in May 2005, so that was a month after um, Nina's body was found. But it was said that Ellie was murdered mere days before Nina was murdered. Oh my god. So basically... He murdered Ellie, and then a couple days later murdered Nina, but her body was found a month after Nina's was. Wow. Buffy testified 
that when the group was back at the motel after Nina's murder, Labakan took a bread bag out of a fridge and asked if she wanted to see something. He then showed her a severed pinky finger wrapped in a paper towel and told her he took it from his last victim, whom he described as a prostitute. And it is noted that Ellie May Myers was um, involved in sex work in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Ellie May Myers' body was also found with her pinky finger severed. Oh. Yeah. Was there anybody looking for her? Her mom. Yeah. yeah so sad. Ellie was born in Quebec. She had she had had two children. It was noted that one had passed away day, I think really close to after giving birth, and then the other child was given up for adoption. Yeah. But she was bilingual and she had dreams of becoming a nurse. Oh my god. I know. So just sad. so sad. Ultimately, though, he was charged with first-degree murder for the deaths of both women and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. So, fucking rot. Yeah. Michael Briscoe. So, we know that Michael Briscoe admittedly drove the the car to the golf course, but he denied any knowledge that the four people with him planned to kill the girl. So, he pled not guilty. He testified that he never harmed the girl and he was afraid for his own life that night. Like, fuck off. boo fucking who? Fuck off. Other witnesses testified that violence was previously discussed in front of Briscoe and he had actually helped to choose the tools that Nina was assaulted and murdered with. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another note is that Michael Briscoe was actually also a suspect but was eventually cleared of the first degree murder of Ellie Mae Meyer. Briscoe's ex-girlfriend was this fucking twat Stephanie Bird who was also involved. Oh. She had actually testified at the trial that Briscoe and Labacan attacked Ellie Mae Meyer together after they picked her up in Edmonton and then drove her out of the city. But the judge accepted his defense lawyer's argument that Stephanie Bird was an unreliable witness. How? Yeah. So, Briscoe, though Briscoe, Michael Briscoe was likely present at the death of Elliot Maymeyer, or sorry, Ellie Maymeyer, the judge ruled that he couldn't determine beyond a reasonable doubt that Briscoe knew she would be murdered. Oh, jeez. In terms of Nina's murder, he was actually initially acquitted of all charges. <laughs> The Crown, however, appealed this decision, and in 2008, the Alberta Court of Appeal found that the judge had erred in his judgment and a retrial was ordered. Good. As it should have been. Yeah. In October 2008, the Alberta Court of Appeal ruled that Michael Briscoe should be retried on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated sexual assault, and kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Michael Briscoe challenged this decision, but the ruling was upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada. His trial began in February 2011, and ultimately he was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole for 25 years for the first-degree murder, sexual assault, and kidnapping of Nina. And then in April 2010, so this is a year before his trial again began in for Nina, in April 2010, he actually was did end up being charged with second-degree mur- murder in the death of Ellie Mae Meyer. Good. Now on to Buffy. Buffy was convicted of second-degree murder and aggravated sexual assault, and the judge gave her the harshest possible sentence allowed under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, which does not seem like enough. So in 2009, she was sentenced to four years in custody to be followed by another three years of supervised fucking probation. Like, you're on a timeout for murdering someone. Well, yeah, the sentences for youth are way less. fucked. Uh, that sentence was officially over on November 9, 2016. She was 27 years old when she was like freed of all charges when she made her final appearance in court she spoke about some of her fucking challenges she faced and expressed her thanks to those that to those that helped her along the way oh wow. like bitch and Ugh. and then it's just really obnoxious she like it like 
there's an article that talks about how she thanks her parole officer and her parole officer is like, you're practically family now. Like, ew. Have you always wanted a murderer as a family (laughs) member? Because, sweet, you got one. Cool. (laughs) You do. Stephanie Bird was sentenced to 12 years in prison for manslaughter, aggravated assault, and kidnapping. In February 2009, the Alberta Court of Appeal upheld Stephanie Bird's manslaughter conviction. The Crown appealed the decision, and in December 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada convicted her of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole for 10 years. Good. Michael Williams, in 2007, pled guilty and was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced as an adult to life in prison with no chance of parole for 10 years. Williams appealed, but the sentence was upheld, so get fucked. Good. When asked about her experiences with the criminal justice system, Peach is very critical. She argues that sentencing should include, exclude, sorry, time served in custody and that a prison sentence should begin on the day of sentencing. Which I completely agree. Yeah, I agree Like, it's as well. actually bullshit that they're like, you murdered someone, but we're going to essentially give you credit yeah. for sitting for in jail up until, yeah, like, up until your trial. fucked. Yeah, I, I agree with her. Peach is also lobbying for changes to the Youth Criminal Justice Act mm-hmm. so that violent offenders can be named in the media and tried and sentenced as adults, regardless of their age. Yeah. Peacha believes more programs are needed for youth involved in the criminal justice system, and she says although they have been convicted, the youth are not taking responsibility for Nina's murder. No. She no. even described one particular instance in which one of them waved at her in the fucking courtroom. Oh, wow. I would have literally lit the place and then I would have fire. leaped over those pews and yeah. punched them in the face. So Peja describes her relationship with the police officers that investigated Nina's murder as positive, though. she As positive as it could be. She knows that other families have encountered discrimination, but this was not her experience. Good. She believes Nina's age and the brutality of her murder pressed police into immediate action. She believes the officers were truly horrified by what had, by what had been done. And they worked overtime, sometimes without pay, to find the people responsible. So, like, good on them. Uh, A few officers even went so far as to promise Picha that Nina's murderers would be caught and punished. And so she really fought for her rights throughout all of this, too. As she should. Yeah. And so uh, the media did, although, get a hold of this interaction with Child and Family Services. And there were just some very malicious media reports that came out. And so... It was, like, devastating for her and then compounded by that. But she did say working with the police itself was very positive. Mm. So, Picha advocated for years to find more supports for families. She said family members need better access to supports like healing circles and, sorry, counseling. And that these services can be expensive and that not everyone can afford to pay. Mm -hmm. So, she advocated for better financial supports for families, resources for counseling, or to attend conferences on grief and healing. In honor of Nina, Picha founded the Nina's Dreams Trust Fund, which provided scholarships for youth interested in the arts. Unfortunately, her mother did pass away from colon cancer in 2015, but she fought like hell up until her passing. Oh, rest in peace. So that's my story. Oh, that poor baby girl Nina. Absolutely tragic. And like, how this is what's shocking to me is how is that, how are there five people involved Mm -hmm. and not one of them is like... This is wrong. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. It's horrible. I'm proud of that mom oh, fighting like she hell. She fought like hell. Yeah. And like, yeah, just never gave up. And I'm also, it's like refreshing to hear that the police actually did a good job and didn't, uh-huh. you know, be like, oh, she's a runaway or oh, blah, blah, cool. blah. Like they actually did their fucking job. Yeah. So good on them. Props. Yeah. Because 
doesn't always happen that way. No, so rest in peace to Nina. Rest in peace to Ellie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just so fucking sad. But but they're all rotting in jail. So. Good. Minus uh... fucking Buffy. Like, I'm going to find out her real name and out her. Do you think she's still living in Edmonton? Probably. I'm going to find nasty, it. Nasty, nasty girl. I'm find it. I know. Not in my hometown. Just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, oh, that was great. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that. So that was a little bit of a doozy and a long one this week, but our we gave you a little shorty last week, so... Yeah. so you get double duty this week. Treat. We're a little chaotic. We toned it down. It was chaos. It was a journey. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. You really smoothed it out there at yeah, the end. Yeah, we did. I appreciate you. Hope y'all enjoyed it. So next week, Beth is going to bring the true crime case. Yes, I will. If you have any How My Lives, you can DM them at Nightmare on Girls Night. <laughs> What's the name of this podcast? <laughs> or you can email us at nightmareongirlsnight at gmail.com. Perfect. So we'll call that a day. And remember, all good stories start with a girls' night. But not everyone makes it to brunch. Mm-hmm.